Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. My name is Jeremy, by the way, and we are excited to open the scriptures this morning. So would you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. We're going to be on probably page two of your copy of the scriptures as we start in Genesis chapter two. And our scripture reading this morning uh, will just be a couple of verses because we want to focus on the idea of rest, the idea of rest. And so if you're able, I invite you to rise in body or in spirit for the reading of the scriptures. Genesis 2, verse 1 says this. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. By the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. Father, we thank you for the gift of rest this morning. Um, God, we thank you um, that you have created an incredible world. And even though it is marred and broken by sin, which happens in Genesis 3, um, God, you created it with good intentions. You created it to be a place where uh, humanity would, would care for and steward. And God, even today, as your people here, we want to step into the things that you have for us the work that you have for us, the rest that you have for us. And Lord, we know from the scriptures that that work and that rest find its uh, meaning and its fulfillment in Jesus. And so Lord, I pray that as we study this morning, that the Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would give us hearts to set upon your truth, that you would remind us of the completeness and the sufficiency of Christ for our life today. We pray this in his name. Together we say, amen. Please be seated. So, whenever we talk about rest, that's a word that means different things to different people. For some of us, we think of rest and we go, yeah, I can't remember the last time I experienced that. For others here, you go, yeah, I just came off of a vacation. Or, or maybe I, I have a regular pattern of taking a rest during um, the week or during the day. See, the amazing thing about how God created the world and how sin marred it is that um, when uh, God created the world, he created it good and he created work good and he created rest good. And then sin enters the world and work becomes a whole lot harder because there's a curse on the ground and, and there's a, a whole lot more toil and struggle in the world and we feel the effects of that all over our world and even in our very lives today. Um, whenever we talk about rest, and in, in specifically we talk about the idea of Shabbat. Shabbat is the Hebrew word for Sabbath. Um, so I generally prefer to say the word Shabbat. Um, whenever we talk about Shabbat, um, that can be become a little contentious too because quickly you enter into a conversation that has historically been dominated by legalism. 
And, and I go historically because like 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the earth, he's having these same questions and conversations with the leaders and the Jewish people of his time. For example, in John chapter 5, there's, a, there's also a time in Mark, d- different instances where Jesus does something on Shabbat, on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders look at him and go, and they say, what? You can't do that. And Jesus begins to teach things like... Um, Man was, like the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And, and he goes eventually in the book of Matthew to say, hey, if you want to experience rest, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He says to the religious leaders, you like, you like to weigh down burdens on the people. You don't like to remove burdens from them. See, fundamentally, God created rest as a gift to humanity. And he created rest to be experienced um, within his presence. Um, Several years ago, it would have been 14 and a half years ago, my wife and I were traveling in the land of Israel on a biblical study trip. Here we are 14 years ago. Uh, We we look even better today, don't we? Uh, She does. You know, me, whatever. But um, this picture is taken um, at the Western Wall, all right? This is one of the significant places in Jerusalem where the Jewish people, if you're Jewish, you can go here and you can pray. A a Jew actually can't go on the Temple Mount and pray. Um, But they can have access to this wall. And if you were to go closer, you, you, you see this big wall on the left side are where all the men go to pray. And you have to wear a head covering as you go. And then on the right side is the women's area where you go up to pray and you go up to the wall and you'll find these little like like rolled um, pieces of paper that have prayer requests. You'll go down there and you'll see people, um, oftentimes um, Orthodox Jews, and and, and they're reading scripture or they're they're davening. They're they're doing this kind of emotion as they're reciting scripture or they're reciting prayers from the Jewish Siddur. Um, What was amazing about this photo and this night is we came into Jerusalem just before Shabbat. And Jerusalem is an interesting city because uh, when we were there, th- there's, four co- there's four quadrants. There's a Muslim quadrant, there's a, um, a Christian quadrant, there's an Orthodox quadrant, and there's a Jewish quadrant within the city. And on Shabbat, um, or as you get ready for Shabbat, and Shabbat, biblically speaking, is Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. So Friday afternoon, there's a hustle and bustle going on within the city of Jerusalem. And it, and it all of a sudden kind of comes to a ceasing. Because as Shabbat comes, families are in their houses, it's quiet. The shops are closed. And when we came here, we walked here, it was, it was, it was peaceful, it was quiet. It was, it was one of the most amazing Shabbats uh, in memory because of where we were and what we were experiencing. Uh, but it's something very unique to go to a different culture and all of a sudden the busyness and the bustle just ceases. It's something that perhaps uh, doesn't, we don't experience as much in our lives because the pace of the Western world is typically we go, we go, we go, we go. When Moses is writing um, the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy, 
and he records this account of creation, first day, good, second day, good, third, fourth, fifth. You know, there was evening, there was morning. He comes to this last day and he highlights what's going on here. In fact, um, one scholar puts it this way, summarizes it this way. While within the accounting of the creation narrative, the seventh day is set apart from the prior seven. In this narrative uh, of these three verses in Genesis 2, the Hebrew text has 35 words. That's five divisible by or seven times five because seven is that number of completion that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Verses two through three contain three sentences. Each sentence contains seven words. The exact middle expression is the seventh day emphasizing this figure of seven, this idea of completion. The three middle clauses in verse two have seven words each and the word seven is within each of the words. And he summarizes it with this. He says, all this points to an orderly communication about this final day of the week that is unlike the first six. It's interesting, when he uses um, the word here for rest, and when we understand Sabbath, I think this is helpful for our framework. Um, the word in Genesis 2 that is translated here is actually not the word Shabbat, it is the word Shavat, which is a very similar word. One is a verb, and it occurs 71 times in the Old Testament. It means to cease, it means to stop, it means to rest, it means to celebrate. It, it, it's described by a, a Hebrew grammar that the verb does not refer to the recuperating from physical exertion, but the absence or the cessation of work. What that means is on day seven, God didn't go, man, I'm wiped out. Man, I'm tired. I just have to get my energy back. No, he, he said, it's, it's completed. It, it's very good. All these things had been created by the word of God. He spoke them into existence. And on the seventh day, God said, rest, rest, rest. 71 times. It's interesting. The, um, the word Shabbat, when it talks about the day, um, doesn't occur, and we'll look at the verse in a couple minutes here, it doesn't occur until Exodus 16. And God gives that command to the Jewish People. This is the first mention of this word for rest, though, and a couple of just basic observations and assumptions about the Sabbath that we could summarize from Genesis 1 and 2. The first one is this. God's work was completed prior to his rest on the seventh day of creation. God's creative work was good. Work, according to God, is good. Rest is not meant to be like the antidote for work that is awful. No, rest is meant to be the complement for work that is good and holy and, and, and God-given. Shabbat gives balance to work as, words, as work gives balance to Shabbat. God rested from his creative work. His rest was not to recuperate from exhaustion. Another assumption or observation here is that God blesses the Sabbath. And when we talked about blessing in the last couple of weeks, um, one of the ways that blessing should be understood here is that blessing has to do with the expansion of life. So when God blesses the Sabbath day, or when God blesses rest here, um, he's concerned about the expansion of life. Um, not only does God bless Shabbat, here, he sanctifies or he makes holy time. It's actually the first thing that is declared holy by God in all of the scripture. It's not a thing, it's actually time itself. Kind of an interesting thing to think about there. Um, 
the interesting thing about time is one writer says that it's a, it's a quality that enables people to commune or have communion or to relate or to connect with God. Uh, finally, um, Genesis 2 gives, gives a pattern for rest. It doesn't give a commandment for rest. In fact, the original audience who was commanded to observe an actual Sabbath day uh, was Israel in Exodus 16. And so if you just, you know, you can hold your place there if you want to, but just thumb over to Exodus chapter 16, which is the next book of the Bible. Uh, so you won't have to go super, super far. And if you need a Bible, by the way, there's Bibles in the pews in front of you. Uh, we'd love to have you use one of those or take one home. If you don't have one for your own, they're yours. Um, where we find this word Shabbat, talking about the noun, talking about the day, the first time is in Exodus chapter 16. This word is used 111 times in the Old Testament. And when it, when it uh, is used, it refers to the day of rest. It refers to the seventh day of the week, or you could translate it or transliterate it as Sabbath, Shabbat, Sabbath. And uh, one of the Hebrew grammars also says it does not refer to any phases or cycles of the moon because a lot of dates were dependent upon the moon cycle or, or one of those phases within the constellation. This is every seven days, regardless of where the moon is. It is a weekly day of rest. Um, in Exodus 16, what we have is um, a story about Israel. And in Exodus 15, which comes right before it, um, God... It tells the story about how God redeems his people, redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. In fact, Exodus 15 is this great song at the sea where they, they praise God and they say like, Lord, who is like, among, who is, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, whole, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? Um, they, they, they talk about how he will lead the people that you have redeemed. You will guide them with your faithful love to your holy dwelling with your strength. There's like this great worship party that goes on here after they've been redeemed from slavery in Egypt. Well, the next chapter, Moses records for us that they're in the wilderness now. They're on the way to the promised land. And what happens? They grumble. They, they, they complain. And, and honestly, if you've ever walked or seen photos of this wilderness in this desert, you'd go, yeah, I'd complain pretty quickly too because it's hot and there's not a lot of stuff there. And one of the things that they complain about is, um, is that there's no food. And, and so God provides them. In fact, here's what they say in Exodus 16, verse 2. It says, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Grumbled, like, you know, kind of thing. They're, they're not happy. And the, it says, the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Do you think they're like um, having rose-colored glasses here a little bit? Like, we had pots of meat. We had everything we wanted. They were enslaved. Right? But, you know, time and distance kind of separate them from what they experienced. And he said, they said, verse 3 again, Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly go hungry. So what God does, well, what Moses does is, is Moses has this conversation with God. God says to Moses, I'm going to rain bread down from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. That way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. So he sets this pattern. He says, I'm going to give you bread. And it's called manna, which means what is it? Because it looked like coriander and kind of tasted like honey. And they're like, 
What is it? Because they see this stuff on the ground. God says, every day I want you to go out. I want you to pick up the food that you need for that day. I want you to take it back into your tent. I want you to only take what you need for that day. And the next morning I want you to go out and I want you to pick up what you need for that day again. This goes on for, for five days. On the sixth day, he says, I want you to go out and I want you to take twice what you need. And so they go out, some of them take twice what they need, some of them don't. See, the thing is, is if they took too much that they needed for the day and it didn't get eaten, it spoiled. And on the sixth day, if they didn't take what they needed for a double portion, then they went hungry. And this happened because people were like, I don't know, can I trust God? Will God bring this food again tomorrow? Imagine you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're going, Hang on a second. God said that there'd be food. Here's food. I better take enough just to make sure. It's kind of like going to mire in a snowstorm. It's like, how do I know I'm going to have enough? Just one more gallon of milk. Just one more bag of bread. What, whatever it is that you buy. I don't know what you buy. But, um, but, but there becomes like almost this hoarder mentality. God is wanting to teach his people Israel that they can trust him that he not only redeemed them from slavery, but that he wants to bring them and that he will bring them into a good and spacious land. He's wanting to teach them trust. He's wanting to teach them dependence. And he sets this in order with the idea of Shabbat within this narrative in part, I think, to do that. So he says to them, I want you on the sixth day, I want you to take twice what you need, and then I want you to have what you need for the next day so that on the seventh day of the week, you rest. Imagine that you are a slave. You were a a former slave. Imagine you were enslaved. Your people were enslaved for 400 years, and at the crack of that whip, you did whatever you were told to do, and if you didn't, you had consequences. Here, God in his grace is saying, I'm going to provide, but I also want to help you learn dependence. And so he says on the sixth day of the week, take double. He's still giving them work to do here. But he's also teaching them to trust that when that seventh day comes, it won't spoil and they'll have enough. Not only that, they will be able to go, Do that with me this morning. Just go. Some of you, that may be the first time you've done that all week. Just in the craziness of life. See, one of the ideas behind Sabbath, and I like the way Dr. Dwight Pryor puts this. He says, Sabbath is a sanctuary in time to enjoy the presence of God. And to enjoy God's presence is to be reminded who you are, to be reminded who God is and how God wants to meet your need and how God wants to meet my need. I don't know about you, um, I, I, I grew up in a faith tradition that observed Shabbat regularly, like every week. We went, to, we went to church on Saturdays and when I was a kid from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday, we didn't watch TV. Our, our whole pattern of life changed. My parents didn't work. There wasn't an extra side hustle project going on or anything like that. Uh, in fact, my, my grandpa, I loved my grandparents. Um, my grandpa was a dear, dear man, uh, but he always had a project, 
always had a project. And as a guy who didn't really love, a kid who didn't really love projects and was kind of lazy at certain points in my adolescent years, I'd be like, mm, should I go over to Graham and Grandpa's house? Because they live like a half a mile away. So we could just walk there, ride our bikes. I was like, should I go over there? Mm, I'll go on Sabbath because I won't get put to work. <laughs> so I'd go over on Sabbath and that was my workaround for it. Um, but even with all of that, it's really easy to feel guilty for not working or to think there's something else I have to do or to say, I have to maintain this scrupulous line and if I do this, then I have sinned against a holy God. And legalism can really quickly creep in. I mentioned earlier that this happened within the Jewish people. Like God's command for them, because the original command to observe Shabbat was given to the Jewish people, both here in Exodus 16, it's repeated again in Exodus 20, um, where, where it has the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. And it goes on from there. Um, I, I won't quote the rest of it for you. But the way that the Jewish rabbis would, would then take this command to not do work is then they would say, all right, well, here's what work means. Um, this is taken from gotquestions.org. By the way, if you ever need to like look up something really quickly theologically related, gotquestions.org has some fantastic stuff. This is from their, um, their, their portion on Shabbat. It says here, um, Jewish law prohibits doing any form of melacha or work or deliberate activity on Shabbat with some exceptions. Any activities that contribute to a personal profit or gain are forbidden. Jewish rabbinical tradition lists 39 categories of acts forbidden on Shabbat. And I just included some of them here. Plowing earth, sowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sowing, stitches, tearing, writing two or more letters. Not, not One's okay, two or more, no. Erasing two or more letters. <laughs> Don't erase that. Extinguishing a fire, kindling a fire, transporting an object between private and public domains or over four cubits within public domain. So what happened is the Jewish rabbis would say, well, what does it mean to work? Well, so they define work. And what happened is they created this burden upon people that God never intended for them to experience. Now, God did intend for his children of Israel to, to rest. In fact, in Exodus 31, I think it is, for someone who deliberately breaks Shabbat, it's not a very good punishment. <laughs> like it's, it says you are to keep this very, very strict. In, in other words, you're, you're supposed to be very meticulous that you rest. And if someone begins to encroach upon that, I think it's death. You have to double check me on that. I think it's, I think that's what it is. But in here, God is really concerned about life. He's concerned about their heart. He's concerned about their walk. He's concerned about their communion with him. And what happens is that very easily in religious spheres, we begin to take the good purposes that God has created and we begin to say, and you're only good if it works within this framework. And so when Jesus goes and he talks to these religious leaders, they're operating from do no work and here's what work means. So when Jesus heals a lame man on the Sabbath and he tells him to pick up his mat and walk, they say, hang on a second, you can't pick up your mat and walk. Why? Because you can't transport an object, i.e. a sleeping mat, between private and public domains or over four cubits within a public domain. That's what it means to work, don't you know? And Jesus says, that's not at all what it means to work. 
In fact, Jesus says, it's good to do what is good on the Sabbath. Like, like Sabbath is made for the expansion of life. Because God cares not just about how you spend your time. He cares about the overall quality of your life. The amazing thing is, is that in our world, we tend to, not always, but we tend to highlight people who just always go, go, go. I, I'm, in, uh, I'm getting ready for a, a running thing later this year. And I was reading a runner coach, um, runner's coach recently. And one of the things that they said was your rest day, you know, when you're, when you're adding a whole lot of miles onto your runs, it's like your rest day is absolutely crucial. It's just as important as your run day or your lift day or anything else. Because God created us as people who are not meant to go and go and go and go. He, he created us to work, yes. He created us to do good work, intentional work, for his glory, yes. But he also created us as people in his image who depend upon rest. And rest in God's perspective is not, I'm going to go like clear my mind and do nothing. Rest from God's perspective is, you need, you, you, there should be a pattern and a regular um, practice within our lives to go back to God because God is the source of all rest. So first mention here, Exodus 16, I just have this up here. Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. The Lord has given you the Sabbath. This is a gift for the people. This isn't made to wear them down. This is made to tell a group of former slaves, you're not identified by the work you do. And you need Shabbat in order to be reminded of who you are and who I am. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days worth of bread. Each of you stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. There's some lessons I think we can learn from the commandment given to the Jewish people. The first one's this. God provides for his people with food and with time. He has already delivered them. He is now sustaining them. It's not just the time off that sustained them. It's the time with God in that time off that helped remind them of whose they were. Secondly, God is teaching them to trust his word and his character. This is a people who are learning to hear the voice of God. They're learning to be in covenant fellowship with God. Um, the Sabbath is sometimes referred to as the, the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, I heard, I think, it was a, I think it was a rabbi one time say that like when, when Israel stops, stopped practicing Shabbat, it was like they took their wedding band off because this, this was a sign of whose they were. In, in fact, in different periods of time, they weren't well loved by the people around them because they took a rest day every Saturday. Like what's going on here? But to translate that to our day today, you know, and just so you know where I stand, I, I don't believe that the Sabbath command is directly um, obligatory upon the people of God today. We'll look at a verse from Romans in just a few minutes that will help bring some clarity to this. But I do think that this principle of rest is absolutely vital for our souls because we struggle with rest. We struggle to trust we struggle to believe that God will provide. 
Why do we struggle to rest? I think one of the reasons, this list isn't exhaustive, um, but I think one of the reasons we struggle to rest is because some of, sometimes we have an earner's mentality. Like, like I have to go out and I just, I just have to hustle to get everything I need. Sometimes that earner's mentality actually builds up a, I need to have more, so I have to work harder so that I can have more. And we just begin to build bigger barns when we don't need bigger barns. We begin to have more plates in the air. And trust me, I'm not like, like I'm guilty of this as much or more than anyone in this room. Like I'm preaching this after a ridiculously busy week this week. But we have this earner's mentality sometimes. And we misunderstand that the purpose of work is to glorify God in the things that he's placed before us to do. He's given us the power and the strength and the wisdom and the grace to do. Um, so earner's mentality. Sometimes we think by doing more, we can bless God more. Or we can be more holy in God's sight. That, that can't happen <laughs> because God looks at every one of his children. He says, I love you regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done. Why else do we struggle to rest? Well, I think sometimes we have patterns of restlessness. And these are habits that we have formed within our own life. Like, I have to do something. I have to do something. Like, so, sometimes it's really hard. Like, if I'm exhausted to just go home, like, maybe I just need a nap. <laughs> you know? It's like, no, I have to, I have to keep doing. And, and, and because there's sometimes like a pattern of restlessness, I just have to keep going. Maybe that's true for you as well. But I think one of the biggest ones here is trust. If I were to just say, okay, pause on something, can I go, all right, God, I can trust you. I can trust you to meet me in this. Um, I mentioned about the day. Romans 14 is a really helpful passage when it, when it talks about like some of the, 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 the legalism that can creep in with Shabbat. In Romans 14, it says this, one person considers one day to be above another. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God and whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it. Yet he thanks God. For none of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Paul's addressing a Roman church. And the Roman church, just like many of the other churches in Asia Minor, uh, was comprised of both Jew and Gentile. And because it included both Jew and Gentile, um, there was sometimes some, some struggle between, like, the Jews keep Shabbat religiously. The Gentiles, what is Shabbat? <laughs> you know? And so how do we put two different groups in? And it's my conviction based upon Scripture that God doesn't call Jews to become Gentiles. He doesn't call Gentiles to become Jews. Um, so he's not going to the Jews and he's saying, now you need to stop celebrating Shabbat. And he's not going to the Gentiles saying, now you must legalistically observe Shabbat. What he's saying is that each person should have a conviction of this in their own mind and in their own heart before the Lord. And you should observe accordingly. If you observe, observe to the Lord. If you choose not to observe Shabbat, then live your life for the Lord. What matters here is whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. He's trying, to, he's trying to cast a greater vision for unity within the church here, even though they're made up of different, um, different groups of people. We could say a whole lot more about this. For the sake of time, we're going to keep going. Um, Hebrews 4 is another very helpful 
verse that talks about Sabbath. And actually, the uh, multi-generational class is studying in Hebrews. Uh, and so they're going to get to this one, I think, in two weeks. So I'm not going to totally steal their thunder. But what I love in Hebrews chapter 4 is that it reminds us, it reminds us um, what Sabbath rest truly is and where does it come from. Therefore, he says, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest, that's God's rest, has rested from his own works. Just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. When you look at what's going on here in the context, it's talking about Jesus who is central to rest. Uh, Jesus is actually, uh, according to Colossians, he is the substance of the Sabbath rest. The Sabbath as a day is a shadow that is fulfilled and met fully in Jesus. Jesus, who created the Sabbath, became our rest because he provided all that we need to find peace with God. See, when, when he's talking to um, the book of Hebrews, he's talking to likely a bunch of um, People who are Jewish background believers, they'd come into the, the ecclesia, the church community, and they're thinking about maybe going back to the walk of Judaism separate from Jesus. And he's saying, you have to remember that even the Sabbath, this loved day, at the end of Shabbat, the Jewish people, they, they actually mourn for the going of Shabbat and going into the next day because it's such a beautiful thing to them. For many of them, it's not legalism. It, it's, it's, the, it's their time with God and with their families to center on who they are and what God has done and to be reminded of God's good gifts. Like, but they're tempted to go back to some of the old forms of their walk without Christ. And, and he says, to really experience rest comes down to the person of Jesus. It's kind of like what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus, I quoted this for you earlier, he looks at the crowds and they're weary and they're worn out and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. What an amazing couple of words for a very tired generation, for a very restless generation. But the rest that comes through Christ is not just a pause in a week, it's to be reminded that apart from him, we are nothing. It's to, it's to be reminded that without Christ, we are separated from God and we are alienated from him. But because of a relationship with Jesus in his death and his resurrection, we are reconciled with God. We who were once God's enemies now become his friends. We who were once far off are brought near. It doesn't happen by a day, it happens by a person. And so if, if you think about this idea of rest and, and you want to begin to say, well, how do I begin to experience this rest? The first thing is, is you have to know rest always comes from Jesus, always. Now God has built patterns within our lives within 24 hour days and stuff like that for us to be able to practice and to focus on that and to build our trust. But it always comes back to a person. But this trust thing is challenging for a lot of us. I heard a story this week um, 
by Dr. Dwight Pryor. I don't think it's original to him. Uh, but it tells a story about how in the days of the sailing vessels, a captain from Liverpool commanded a ship sailing to New York. On one voyage, his family went with him. During the night when everyone was asleep, a storm arose. It struck the vessel. It threw the ship over on her side. Everything inside the ship tumbled and crashed. The passengers awoke in great fear and in imminent danger. Everyone on board the ship was worried. Many of the passengers got up from their berths and they, they began to dress because they didn't know what was going to happen. The captain's daughter and family were on board and the mother comes over to the daughter and she says, honey, I need you to go ahead and get dressed because something's wrong with the ship. She wakes her eight-year-old daughter and the frightened child asks, mom, what's the matter? They told her, she, her mom told her that a storm had struck the ship. And here's, as the story goes, what the daughter said. She says, is father on deck? If you're the captain, you're going to be on deck. Her mom replied, yes, your father is on deck. The little girl, the story goes, dropped back to her pillow and without a fear in the world, in just a few moments, was again sleeping soundly in spite of the wind and the waves because her father was on deck and was at the wheel. I love this story because it teaches us what it means to trust. It gives us a picture of what it means to trust. And if you're here and you're tired and you're worn out and you're weary, your father is in control. It doesn't mean that our ships don't go through various storms, but it means that God is good and he desires your best Never forget that our Father's on deck, whatever the storm of life or the storms of this world may bring. God is in charge. Our Father is on deck, and he knows, or not he knows, but he is our rest. A couple quick things to help you apply this. How do we experience rest today? Always begins with going to God. You can take a seventh day Shabbat every week, and you can still be tired and weary and worn out because you haven't gone to God and he has not renewed your soul. On the other hand, you can be going through a crazy week and in any moment you just go, Lord, I'm up to here <laughs> with everything. And in that, God will meet you and he will become your rest when you recognize your father's on deck. As you think about experiencing rest Remember your father's in control. Take all anxiety to Jesus. And remember that when you take time out from your week, and I think there's good biblical principle, not law or command, but principle to take a regular time, a Shabbat. When you do that, the purpose of that is that you would experience life. The purpose of that is that it wouldn't be a burden, but it would be a blessing through God to you. Because Shabbat teaches us to trust God and to rest in his care. Pray with me, please. Father and our King, I thank you that we can rest today. We can rest because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That we can know that we, we are not separated from you, um, but that we are indwelt by your Spirit and that you give us all we need. And so God, some of us here this morning, we come from a restless walk this week. And yet we turn right now, God, to Jesus who is our life, to Jesus who is our rest, 
knowing that it's only in you rest can be found. And Lord, some of us may be walking in, in habits or in patterns this week that are just simply unsustainable and perhaps unwise. I pray that you would reveal those things to us and that we would have a sense of your leading in our life for how to experience and practice rest in a very practical way. Whether that's from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, or God, or some other time, teach us what it means to trust you by trusting you even with the time in our week. We thank you, God, for your good gifts to us today. Most importantly, the good gifts of Jesus to our lives and to our world. We pray this and we live our lives this week with the intention of being for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.